Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay. Today's topic, Blade, the film that was followed by two sequels, Blade 2 and Blade Trinity. The film stars Wesley Snipes in the title role with Stephen Dorff, Chris Christopherson and Mbouche Wright in supporting roles. In the film, Blade is a vampire, a human with vampire strengths, but none of their weaknesses, who together with his mentor, Abraham Whistler, and hematologist Karen Jensen, fights against vampires, namely Deacon Frost. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah. The movie that kicked off the superhero movie phenomenon we are currently living in. Uh, a lot of people um, think, oh, it was Spider-Man. No, it was X-Men. Nope, nope, you're wrong. It was this. This was the first movie at the cinema that had the <laughs> the Marvel logo pop oh, right. before the movie. <laughs> and uh, I, what doing, I remember, yeah, I remember when I went to see it. I only went to see this because it was a vampire movie starring Wesley Snipes, and I thought, that will be awesome. And then when the Marvel logo pops up, me, I was in there with my brother, and we're both looking at each other like, Blade, Marvel, wait, what? And then we're like, yeah, dude, the vampire, who's in like two seasons of the Spider-Man animated show, of course, yeah, yeah. how do we not put two and two together? Just, we didn't, but yeah, this was it. So this movie came out in 1998. The last time Marvel had a theatrical movie out, it was 1986, Howard the Duck. (laughs) So they went from Howard the Duck in 86, Blade in 98, X-Men 2000, 2000, was it 2002 or 1 for Spider-Man? I think it was the same year, uh, 2000, I think. Ah. Wasn't the same year? No, 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 it was the next year. It was 2001. It was 2001 because Spider-Man came out the same year as uh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I know that because I remember going to see Spider-Man. I I, like the the day Spider-Man released, I went to see like Attack of the Clones like the second time or something. And then like later that day, I saw the opening of Spider-Man. Well, you're right though. Blade kickstarted it all. Now, I didn't watch Blade at the cinema. I watched it on VHS. In the UK, Certificate 18. <laughs> so I wasn't getting in to watch it. In 98, I'd have been 14. Yeah. And I'll yeah. jump in the age. Yeah. yeah. I- I'm not surprised. Uh, I got into this because uh, my dad was a big uh, action film fan and liked Wesley Snipes as well. Um, so my dad dragged me and my brother along with us. <laughs> Didn't drag. We all like, hey, let's go see this movie. And a lot, lot of us went. So that's how I got in. Because in Australia, I think it was uh, M15. But yeah, I it, of, the t- of the era, it makes sense. This would be an 18 rated. Um, but, just, but just the opening scene alone, one of the best opening scenes for any movie ever it's it's way up there i mean from the first five minutes of this movie like it, it has you like that nightclub scene with vampires yes. it's like 
the what music, the, movie is. the sprinklers with the blood, the yeah. guy, the victim falling at Blade's feet. It's just it's yeah. perfection. And there he is, not a drop of blood on him, all in black, and you're like, oh, it's on. <laughs> so when the sequel came out in 2002, I watched that at the cinema. I'd have been 18 Same. at that point. And then the third one was a 15. And I, of course, I could see that. Anyway, but this movie, when it came out, I think you're right. It wasn't necessarily, hey, look, here's a movie based on a Marvel character. It was, here's a vampire movie starring Wesley Snipes. And it, but it took off in a really big way. It was released on August 21st in 1998. It was a commercial success, grossing $70 million at the US box office and $131.2 million worldwide. And the movie had a budget of $45 million. Yeah, nice. It's so funny listening to those numbers. I'm like, it must have done more than that. This, how did not more people go to see it? But again, it was a vampire movie, not a superhero movie. And not like the name Wesley Snipes had at the time was significant, but he was still playing second fiddle to your Bruce Willis's and your Sylvester Stallone's and the other big action names of the time. So I'm actually surprised at how low those numbers are but that's also you know it kind of makes sense given the inflation i wonder if that's as of today's money or again, uh, what though, would be adjusted for inflation i was interested in this movie but i couldn't go and watch it, it was an 18 so yeah you're reducing your audience there yeah i wonder if that was the same in the u.s if it was released at an 18 level as well because that is that's why so many movies up until you know really logan and deadpool did whatever they did could do to to rate it down at a 15 because how big a chunk of your potential it takes but it's a um, hit though like again a budget of 45 million 131.2 worldwide box office and i was curious as well at just to see how well the sequels did. The budget of Blade 2 was 60 million. It grossed over 155 million. And Blade Trinity had a budget of 70 million and it grossed over 129 million. So the movies were were still making money. Yeah. But they yeah. stopped. I remember. For Blade Trinity, they uh they tr- they were hoping to build a spin-off centered around Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel. Night but, Stalkers. Yeah, they just couldn't couldn't get it to work for some reason. Um, I think maybe the zombie thing started coming at the time. And you know, Reynolds is good in Blade Trinity. What's his name? Hannibal King. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen that one. But he wasn't Ryan Reynolds yet. Like Ryan Reynolds no, now. Uh, yeah. That wasn't Ryan Reynolds in 2004. Yeah. And Jessica Biel, speaking of her as well, uh, we'll get back to this, Blade, but Jessica Biel, I remember watching an interview with her. The Blade Trinity came out and she, was, she did that. She did um, Stealth with Jamie Foxx and uh, Jared Leto. Um, or no, it was the other one. Um, the one, yeah. Josh Lucas was in that. 
Josh Lucas, thank you. I'm like, no, 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 not not him, the other guy from Incredible Hulk. Um, <laughs> and she was getting a bunch of stuff, but and she was getting quite a few roles. Everyone expected her to kind of hit it big, but from her own uh, an interview I saw with her at the time, she was going for a bunch of roles. A lot of them in a, more of an action role, and all of those roles that she went for, all these ones that ended up being the bigger movies she lost out to Anne Hathaway. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And like in like four or five in a row, she lost out to Anne Hathaway. I'm like, Ooh, Anne Hathaway stole a career unwittingly. (laughs) But this movie, oh man. Yes. Um, Let's, Let's get back to, yeah, let's get back to this movie. Despite mixed reviews from critics, the film received a positive reception from audiences and has since garnered a cult following. It is also hailed as one of Snipes' signature roles. And yeah, I mentioned it was followed by two sequels. And David S. Goya was involved with all three movies and the third movie he actually directed. Yeah. um, You know, this is the the less is more that is this movie in a nutshell um he's a vampire he's a half vampire that hunts other vampires he's got one guy he knows is up to no good um you know uh he kind of half stumbles into some of the information thanks to uh karen jensen and climax to the end it doesn't overcomplicate itself it doesn't add in like um a love triangle or in fact there's not really even a love um interest at all you know um in busher right she's someone who's like she gets attacked at the start of the movie and has to go get the serum pumped into it to prevent her the change that's not going to work so she's got a personal investment of like it's not like I'm here for Blade because he's so great. It's you you just fucking open this whole world to me and you're just gonna leave me here? No, 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 no. I am not turning into one of those freaks. I wanna i I'm a doctor, I'm gonna figure this out. A hematologist as well. I blood doctor, the perfect person to have on your side. Um and Stephen Dorff's side is I'm a young vampire. There's this big council of elder vampires who are dicks and treat me like shit, but they're all stodgy and they're like out of touch. I'm going to take over. It's very bare bones, but that's why it works so well because they let the action speak louder than the words. Um, And the action set pieces are so good. This was Wesley Snipes at his best. Um, The gunplay, it all makes sense. The gadgets aren't over the top there. It's bullets. Of silver. Silver is allergic to vampires. Uh, that's what we use. Um, and stakes, you know, stabbing with this thing, stabbing with this thing. Like I've got Uzis that let off a bunch of silver at once. It's it's very easy. You don't have to answer anything. Like, yeah, I've got a sword. Easy. I've got, yeah. yeah, very easy to follow. They. I was reading something about how a crucifix doesn't work against a vampire in this film. And yep. reason being is that what if the vampire is Jewish? A cross wouldn't mean anything to him. That was the yeah. logic behind this movie. So, well, let's remove the cross 
because it's based on belief, isn't it? It's not just yeah because it's a cross. It's like it's that's a, a parallel how it works against a vampire. So they did make some changes, but this was uh, ninety eight, a year before the Matrix. But it's where Hollywood went black leather. Like everything yeah. was black from Blade, The Matrix, Underworld. Yeah. But yeah. Even some of the shots in this, they do with bullet time. There's a scene when uh, Stephen Dorff is in, the, in daylight in a park opposite Wesley Snipes. And he pulls out a gun and lets a few bullets off at him. And yes. it does the time slow. And he moves out of the way of the bullets. Like that's how fast a vampire can move. Um, and this, like you said, this was before the Matrix. I mean, they didn't have the like the ripples as it distorts the air around it. But it, I remember when I saw the Matrix for the first time, I did think I'm like, man, they must have loved Blade. Because <laughs> there's yeah. there's a bunch of stuff here. Even in the climax of the movie, when he's there in the temple and he just jumps down, he doesn't even think about it. In the start of the movie, when he flings uh, Doctor Jensen from one from the hospital to the rooftop across and then he just himself easily jumps it i'm like matrix like when i was in the matrix i'm like they took that from blade <laughs> it was very obvious to me and then it was just reasserted when i was doing the rewatch for this podcast yeah there's definitely some similarities in there we should probably talk about the director now this first movie was directed by stephen norrington yeah, he's done other projects other than Blade. But what springs to my mind, the story about when he was filming League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and Sean Connery and him got into a bit of a disagreement, and Sean Connery punched him. That's the thing that <laughs> happened. So I know Norrington for that in this movie. I mean, he did. Um, I think that one of the first things he did was a sci-fi horror movie, Death Machine. Yeah. But he's not done too much since. But interestingly, though, he had a small part in this movie that ultimately ended up getting cooked. It was going to be part of an ending they didn't go with. And he was playing Michael Morbius. Oh, wow. So they were building something, and you can actually see the footage, special features on the DVD. Because they had the alternative ending where Deacon With the Frost, human blood bags? Yeah, Deacon Frost became this big CGI blood monster. And they decided yeah. that, you know what, the effects aren't there yet. Let's yeah. not go with that. But as part of that original ending, Michael Morbius was going to be in it. But Morbius is a character associated with Spider-Man. Sony were doing their thing with Tom Maguire. I guess maybe it wasn't Maguire at that stage, but they were planning on doing Spider-Man, they were told they can't use that character. That makes sense because even the, uh, you, it's actually the opening scene when um, when the the victim is getting uh, pushed, uh, escorted through the meat factory to the nightclub uh, at the start of the movie. You see him go, "Hey, what what the hell was that?" That I only know um, from the deleted scenes. That was actually a person in like a body bag that was set up as like a, a blood supply for when Deacon was planning the original ending of like ah right uh, La Magra the vampire god would be turning a bunch of people and you know uh, Dr. Uh, Karen says like 
you're an idiot. You're going to turn everyone into a vampire instantly. What are you going to eat? And he's got this, he's big, he's been co- like collecting homeless people and people and people for years and putting them in these bags. So they had an endless supply of uh, I, like the matrix instead of like batteries, <laughs> yes. they've got their farming people wow. in these like yeah. big bat in these big like factories of bags where they've, uh, they've kidnapped people and they've got them like keep keeping them alive for a fresh supply of constant blood. I'm like, so they did think it out, but like wisely they've cut, they cut all the connective tissue so that there's no plot hole when they decided to change the end. Right. Um, all that's left is that one thing that if you didn't know what was there from the deleted scenes, you would never notice where he's like, mm. what's that? And like, yeah, it's like, I only know it out from the context of watching the special features of this movie. Years ago, I devoured them all. I watched all the special features I think it was one of the first DVDs that, I've, that I got and they really put a lot of work into it and like the DVD menus and all the features. And I remember, yeah, but again, it's been a long time. Deacon Frost, yeah, uh, Stephen Dorff, he's really good in this. I believe in the comics, the character of Frost was older, but they decided to go younger for this film. And it really works. And there's a few other names thrown around when they're looking at casting. And one of them was Jet Li. And he turned it down to do Lethal Weapon 4. That makes sense. Glad that he did because Stephen Dorff is so good in this. He is. And this is... I remember coming out in the cinema like, oh, Stephen Dorff, that guy is going to be huge after this movie. And he did do a, a few critically acclaimed things around the time. Like, um, I think it was like of flesh and bone was one. Um, he did, um, he did one with Jessica, uh, Jennifer Lopez at the time. And I think John Voight, uh, the, so he was popping up and he was in the, uh, <laughs> the, um, chocolate starfish and hot dog flavored water, um, film clip for Roland. Uh, what's the band? Oh, Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, oh, it's just a complete mental break. I named oh, the album. I'm thinking that album. Yeah, I think, why is that familiar? Right. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, he's at this. He's in the sketch at the start. Like, you know, they rock up in the Bentley, and he's with Ben Stiller, and he's like, "Where's the valet?" And he throws it, and he's like, "Don't scratch my car." I'm like, wow. He was a he's a big thing at the time, but yeah, it petered out fairly quickly. Uh, he still gets work, and I spot him from time to time, but. This, if I cannot see this movie, I cannot like comprehend this movie without Stephen Dorff. He's no, no, apparently he, he needed to be talked around, like, he wasn't initially interested because he didn't want to do big studio movies. And he'd worked with director Stephen Norrington previously, it may have even been that movie I mentioned earlier, Death Machine, but he worked with Norrington earlier in his career, so he knew him. And fortunately, he was able to convince him to do this movie. And as you say, you know, he's gone on to to have critical success. I think this type of movie isn't necessarily what he's interested in doing. But I'm glad that he did this movie because it makes for a great villain. And it, it plays it really well. Like, he's very driven. But at the same time, he doesn't really give a shit what anyone else thinks. And he's just going to do what he wants to do. Yeah, and it's completely his attitude that that sells all of that. I don't think 
I think it would have been really hard to find another actor to to pull it to for that to come across so naturally. Like it just seems like, of course. And his age relative to the other uh, vampire bosses sells that even further because you know he's in his like what mid, uh, late twenties when they were making this movie, probably. Um, and they're all clearly in their late thirties onwards. I'm like that. that there's that young, uh, especially at the time, um, but it's probably even more prevalent now with like tech companies, that sort of thing of like old old money and Wall Street types and that kind of thing that look down on young people who get to where they're going, got to where they are fast and with no no history, no they're not from a name family or anything like that because in the movie, uh, part of the whole thing with Lamagra, of course, is he needs the tw- the twelve elders who are pure blood vampires of twelve families for the the ceremony, and he was bitten. He was he's not he's uh, not a pure blood as they call him, um, but he that's probably but he's the only one who like they've stopped paying attention to their their Bible and their old texts and that sort of stuff. They didn't even know that that temple, which one of the things that always bugs me is an ancient temple in north america what <laughs> that doesn't unless it was built by native americans i don't think that would be there like it doesn't make any sense you know this is a european or asian or south american or african thing not a north american but um you know that little thing is like he's like they didn't even know it was here like i had to rediscover it uh to finish off all this stuff like they weren't bothering like they couldn't even read their own texts anymore and here's him working with another vampire to decode it all like it, it makes sense and it's it, especially in the late 90s this felt very normal there's a counterculture to his character that helps sell, sell this whole thing and then you've just got the you know the absolute uh force of wesley snipes carrying the rest of the movie um but the big, the big one for me is like Chris Christopherson as Whistler. Holy crap! Another one of like, could, like, could you hear another one is that mental role? Probably. Will they be as convincing and work as well? I doubt it. Um, yeah, and it wasn't he, like he's fantastic in this. He really is. Yeah, and you know he's he's known from from in the seventies from being a country music star or a folk, or folk music star. That's his background. It was in the uh, it was in the late seventies. Someone just decided to ask him to go into a movie back in like um, the uh, Easy Rider days. Um, that's how he got into acting. It was he didn't pursue it. He just kind of fell into it. What was um, the name of that movie that Lady Gaga did recently with Bradley Cooper? Because uh, um, that's been uh, something star. Uh, a star is born. Star is Born. Star is Born, because that's been remade a few times. But I think the last version before this new one, it was Chris Christopherson. Yeah, and that's because of his music background. Um, which, you know, I, I only know him from, from, uh, from movie roles, because he's been in quite some... I think he's now more famous as an actor than as a musician, but traditionally he was known as a, as a musician. And um, in this which, film, he dies. If you've seen yep. the sequels, not really. Yeah. Comes back in the second, and then 
we mentioned Jessica Biel earlier. She plays his daughter. Or is the it third niece? I'm pretty sure. Is it is his niece? I thought it was his daughter. I think I think it's his niece because they're very clear that his daughter and wife get killed. Ah, uh, right, that makes sense. Vampires. Yeah. Okay, um, she's a relative then. But yeah, yeah, but it's it has a big emotional impact for Blade in this because he was a parent to him. Like his mum yeah. was killed. She was bit by a vampire in childbirth. That's you know how he became the Daywalker. But then yep. the twist in this film, we find out that his mum was actually out there all along as a vampire, which is pretty messed up. Yeah, and it, it, it works so well because, of course, she was bitten by a vampire and, and lived long enough to go through labor and have her child born. Um, and then she died. But of course she died. That's part of the change for a vampire. You, it's so obvious, and it's also something of the comics as well that Blade's mother was always a vampire. See, I didn't. Um, right. See, I didn't know that, so I was as surprised as Blade. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, you know that was that was only something I knew after seeing the movie, like going back and like looking into the character and reading some of the comics. I'm like, oh, there, yeah. But in the comics, she was the queen of vampires. Whereas, ah, um, so I didn't know that. We know we should probably just give a quick shout out to the comics. Uh, Blade was created in 1973 by writer Marv Wolfman and artist Gene Colan. He was originally a supporting character in the 1970s comic The Tomb of Dracula. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier the Spider Man animated series. That is where Whistler first appeared. Really? In that cartoon. I, it's so weird. He seems so natural as part of the Blade mythos. And then, I would not have thought it came from a cartoon. And I'm not sure if he then appeared in the comics between the 94 animated series of Spider-Man until we got Blade in 98. But yeah, but apparently that's where the character first appeared. Well, yeah, Whistler is really good in this. And he's got a little team, hasn't he? He's, for all these years, it's just been... Blade and Whistler, and now all of a sudden they've got Karen, who she really yeah. brings, you know, something to the team. You mentioned earlier, she's not just a love interest or eye candy, like she's actually serving a purpose. And yeah, they've got a good dynamic going until Whistler is murdered. Or he's, yeah, and he's it, left and he blows his brains out, or we don't quite see it. Yeah. Um and you know they explain it as well, like, um, oh, you care, you care about him, don't you? And he's like, we have a good arrangement. He makes the weapons, I use them. I'm like, it, it, yeah. It, <laughs> That's it's such a blade so, thing to say. Yeah, it's so simple. You know, he's a man of few words. He's, he's kind of like the almost prototypical John Wick in a way. Um, but it's, like I said, it's the simplicity of this movie. Because um, in the comics, he traditionally only wears rides a motorcycle and he has those horrid if you can remember this right uh, green pants and a, <laughs> yes, like a purple it. maroon top <laughs> it's like yeah. awful but the all black um is, is now better. his default yeah and it's yeah. T- and it's thanks to this movie and the, and the use of the tattoos as well oh um, yes yes i always like that yeah like the tattooed on his hairline like he's got like a very stylish flat top um, and I saw a tattoo artist um, talking about 
tattoos on movies. And then when he, they talked about blading, he goes absolutely 100%. That is 100% the style and of that tattoo from that era, 1998. In fact, you can basically date those tattoos. Mm, that's cool. came out. Yeah. That's how well, cause they went to tattoo artists. It wasn't some artists, some like costume designer on a page of like, Oh yeah. I think he should have some tattoos or something here. These will do. I've seen these around. They, you know, Wesley Snipes found some tattoo guys of like, how would you think someone of this type would get a tattoo? And he's like, oh, well, I think this. Um, and yeah, they're so seamless. Like, you, you can't know, even see him without those tattoos now. No. In fact, you don't even notice the tattoos. They're just so part of the character. You know, we, we often talk about how we like characters to be comic accurate when they're adapted to screen. I'm glad they didn't do that in this case yeah. and they left the green pants on the page yeah the um the other th- you know with his whole get up is he's wearing body armor that is not a thing in the comics because as a vampire he does vampires don't use guns they try to they attack you with like melee weapons or with just their super strength but it so makes sense like in this movie you know they've they've bought off police and that sort of stuff they have guns because they're expecting them to come at him so of course he needs a bulletproof jacket and it's not no it's not kevlar or um something like that i mean you can see there's a clearly heavy place like when it, you see it gets shot or scuffed like like but because he's so strong it weighs nothing to him i'll make it it all makes so much sense and it looks seamless underneath the rest of his clothing it doesn't draw the eye it's just oh yeah of course there there it is looks great natural big fan (laughs) a big fan of the look of snipes in this movie you know i read something um about him and when he was talking about the character of deacon frost and this is with the director and the writer to Snipes, Frost seemed, he described him as being this type of character who tries to skate uphill. And they liked that so much, they put it in the movie. It's towards the end. And it's one of the best lines in the whole film. And, he, and they it had so many, there are so many great lines in this movie. Like, um, you know, at the start, the, the 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 hospital security walks in and just unloads some rounds at him and just turns around and it's like oh yeah like, damn mind like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like yeah. look at this guy he's does this look like someone you fuck around with mm. what are you doing uh yeah. yeah and the cops rock up with like machine guns like they don't go in with pistols like it's so great and yeah yeah that line i've always loved some mofos are always trying to upskate i i skate That's... uphill Yes, that's it's brilliant. But I love the idea that yes, it's in the film. It's a great line in the film, but it was Snipes trying to get a handle on Frost as a character and his motivations, and just talking it through with the writer and the director. And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, let's use that." That's it's a really yeah. it's a really good line, and it's delivered to Deacon Frost as well. Oh, honestly, like Snipes is so good in this, and. He's starting to slowly come back, which I'm really happy about, just in films in general. And he, he's just so he's so good. Like if you go back to the nineties, there's a lot of good snipes there. You know, he did yeah. the movies with Woody Harrelson. You mentioned Demolition Man earlier. It was just great. It was 57. Drop another one. 
Yes, so, so many. Uh, okay, moving on from Snipes. I'm sure we'll come back to him at some point. Uh, yeah. Donald Logue is Quinn. Yeah, the Quinn man. You can slice him, <laughs> you can dice him, but the Quinn man just keeps on coming. A cocky minion he... for Frost, capable of surviving wounds that would kill lesser vampire. I mean, this guy just keeps on coming back. I remember years later watching Ghost Rider with Nick Cage. And Donald Logue was here. I'm like, hang on a minute. Yeah, no, different character. Same actor. Yeah. <laughs> different Marvel yeah. franchise. Yeah. And also, you know, having played uh, on Gotham, of course, Bullock. Yeah, yeah. Well, for the whole for the whole run of that show. Uh, but with Blade, originally, Quinn had a much smaller role, but it was Donald Logue just being funny, like on set and ad-libbing. They're like, yeah, no, we need more of this guy in the film. And I think that's why he's got so many deaths. Because yeah. they're like, yeah, no, we've got to keep coming. We need him to come <laughs> back. Like, we, he's a really, yeah. yeah, so he was, yeah. he was great in this. There's a character that has always disturbed me, like all those years ago, watching it for the first time, and for the rewatch, I'm talking about Pearl. Yeah, I knew that's who you're talking about. <laughs> and I've got a, 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 a roiling, fleshy blob oh, with a right. face. I looked into the character because I just needed to know more because I'd always been disturbed by the character. Playing Pearl, we've got Eric Edwards, right? Yeah. So, okay, so now we know the actor behind the character, but just the visual. And I remember, like, years ago, like, first watching it, like, is it male, female? It was hard to kind of work it out with the high-pitched voice. But I guess, you know, Pearl is, is a male. Um, yeah. So Stephen Novington stated that the cause of Pearl's obese size was the creature gaining a cannibalistic lust for infants and children as he loves to eat their hearts. Now, if you wasn't disturbed by this character enough already, just take that in. Yeah. <laughs> Pearl was so large that a set had to be built around him. It was about 700 pounds of latex skin that had to be moved with a forklift. Jesus, Lord. How... How does he act in all of that? Well, I'll like, tell you. Honestly. Pearl was controlled by five actors. Four puppeteers worked the arms and limbs, and one worked the head. They had hoses that pumped fresh cold air into the body. Holy crap. There you go. So, I mean, but how much screen time does Pearl have, really? I was surprised. A couple they of minutes? Five minutes, great, maybe? Great lengths to have... Pearl be a character in the movie. But yeah, so yeah. now you know a bit of the backstory. The hearts of children and infants. There you go. Yeah. Man, yeah, that's a, that's an unusual one. Um, someone who instantly all, uh, made an impression of me in this film and every film he's ever popped up in playing Dragon Eddie is Udo Kier, the, the, head, the head vampire, the one who always calls Frost, damn it, Frost! I'm talking to you. He's a Belgian, I believe, is the uh, the actor's um, home country. Um, he was also famously in Ace Ventura. Um, at the he has the shark in the shark tank that uh, Ace Ventura falls into. Ah, uh, the first one. Yep. Uh, and he's yeah, he pops up in all sorts of stuff. He's in uh, one of those 
the Iron Sky where the Nazis go to the moon. Yes. Uh, and have been, yeah. Yeah, he pops up in all that sort of stuff, but he's one of those character actors, but this is the the performance I associate with him. And he's so most, good because he's got yeah, most people do. Yeah. Yeah, because he's got that um that European accent, that um his delivery, his icy blue eyes, he's phenomenal. Um and he's just there as the mouthpiece of like this is what the this is why vampires have existed like they don't they don't create waves you know they invest in in uh finance and technology and they buy off politicians and that kind of thing like you know deacon's loud he's like yeah he's drawing attention he, he get that's why he's, you meet him in the first place in their table is because the amount of uh, deaths happening and uh, attention because of his nightclubs. I'm like, he's so great. But yeah, I always, I, I wanted to call him out because he, as I said, he's always one of those actors that when he pops up, I'm like, Oh, it's the guy from blade. He's awesome. Uh, and yeah, he's phenomenal in this. So, so well done. Tracy Lords. I can't remember <laughs> where I knew her from, <laughs> but when I saw Tracy Lords in this movie, she plays, Raquel or Rachel, yeah. one of the two. But I, yeah, I knew her from, where did I know her from? What has she, what has she done? I don't know. The name's so familiar. In the movie, she played the seductive vampire that leads the guy to the rave in the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy with the heat seeker. <laughs> um, who, uh, yeah. Also, she also gets the cool, she screams at Blade, runs at him. Uh, he, Knee, uh, like hits her in the knee, cocks the shotgun, and then shoots her in the in the chin. It's, it's such. She's only on the screen for a little bit of time, but it's so impactful. She opens the movie. She does, and that's what I mean. She she was somebody. Whether it was I don't know what did she do, Playboy, but she did something that she was known for. And I think it was yeah. a bit of a stunt having her open the movie. Like she was somebody that people would yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um. One thing I want to talk about with the movie as well is the movie ages really well. Um, it's definitely a movie of the late 90s. Uh, certain camera angles, uh, fashion is a big thing. Um, uh, the music. The music fits the m- movie perfectly, but it is also very clearly late 90s dance music. Yeah. And you, interestingly, originally, they wanted The Prodigy to do the music for this film. Oh, that would have been awesome. To do the score. But unfortunately, they turned them down because they had other work commitments. Yeah, but the sound of Land this... was 98, right? The big Prodigy album, Fatherland, with like so Firestarter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so they were, yeah. They'd, they'd have been very busy about, about this time. So instead, they went to Mark Isham. And he's a guy... That's he's worked with trumpets, uh, synthesizers, and you're getting a lot of that here. But most notably, I'm looking at the other projects that he's worked on. For me, what sticks out, Point Break. Oh, and I actually watched that again last night and still holds up. There was no need for a remake, I haven't seen the remake. But that is a bloody good film. But the sound, yes, that movie was 91. And then seven years later, yeah, he did, he did Blade. Yeah. Um, 
I don't suppose he was the uh, the DJ at the start of the movie, was he? No, no, no. So, so that's the thing. So this he did the score, but there's a lot of music used in this. And I remember, yeah, that the opening song was just fantastic. It's such a great way to open it, but that was actually a song and not the score. Yeah, because um, I know there's on the DVD special features, there's a, there's a song that plays. It's actually what Deacon Frost is listening to in the archive on his headphones. And he's like getting yelled at. And he's like, I don't, you no need to shout. We're in a library. Um, my mate was obsessed with that song and he went out of his way and bought the soundtrack on CD. And that song was not on it. He had it oh, on no. <laughs> for I years. Think, oh, wow. I think a friend of mine did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, he had a hunt for years online looking and on like blog posts and stuff before you know we had websites that like name that song, um, to find it out. And the fact that I had the the DVD and it was part of the like the menu, there's the menu song pissed him off greatly because it's not listed in the credits either. He really went out of his way to dig up where this song was, but yeah, eventually he got his hands on it. He's like, ah, finally, but yeah, it's um, yeah, the music is great, as I said, it's definitely of the era. But um, we're never using uh, things that are not theatrical orchestral scores. That's always going to be the case um, that the music is going to date to when the movie was made. Uh, but everything works great. Um, you know, most of this stuff is practical effects as well. They use some really great camera effects, like especially like the night scenes moving through the city and like the, the speeding of uh, time and that kind of stuff uh, as they move around. Um, which uh, was reminiscent for me of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Use like some of those old uh, camera effects, um, messing with the timing of the framing um, that people had kind of forgotten for like a long time. Um, the only thing that really doesn't age well um, is right at the end, the CGI blood that, like grips right. on yeah. off, and when he gets cut in half and bloop, back together, together because yes you know that you can't do practically no and you were forced to use cgi and cgi just wasn't at that level but yet. remember i said earlier in the alternative ending and he turned into yep. a big blood creature yeah so imagine the part where he's cut and then he merges back together that would have been him completely so yes i think yeah they used it a little bit, but even then it's, it's noticeable and especially compared to the rest of the movie. And as you've said, they're using a lot of old tricks with some of the visuals. I actually thought you were going to bring up the scene in the subway. Where blade is chasing the guy. Yeah. This is how they did it. Right. So as the train is passing by all the passengers are cardboard cutouts really and they added the man using fx huh slow it down cardboard cutouts that's wow. how they did it but i like that kind of trickery though yeah. doing things like that i i prefer that to what you were just talking about with deacon and being cut in half with the blood but yeah, I suppose same, you could because... say it's mystical vampire blood, and that's why it looks like a dodgy video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, that's just a that's just the thing. Like you know, they're using squibs and um, 
they're using um you know intelligent stuff like even at the end when uh frost has basically become lamagra and he does the quick like zip 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 and then he appears right in front of wesley snipes who just you know they, they do uh that's like basically flash the, the flash running effects and then he just appears in front of wesley snipes and they just cut change camera angle and you have wesley snipes reaction of like whoa yeah. like what the hell it's all I said, practical and it I just I think that's why the movie has aged so well it's so this is how any or any horror mo- show, movie uh I've heard the 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 thing prequel from the 2000s um they had actually not initially all the people working that they did all the puffetry and all the the makeup effects in the traditional sense they did back for the one this classic um carpenter one of the 80s and then they were supposed to use cgi as just fill in like uh morphing shots and stuff like that and and other enhanced things and for some reason because of the era it was made in despite the fact they had done all the in-camera stuff and had all the practical things and everyone was like top tier like this was our dream job we all grew up like admiring the thing and worshiping at it and now we're working on it using the same types of effects the studio didn't like the way that they looked. They thought they looked hokey and had them replace all of it with CGI. Oh, wow. Uh, and I think, you know, this, and even the first Underworld movie, um, when you compare all the practical effects they did with that, why it ages so well. Like, and this is why so many modern directors do the same thing. Christopher Nolan is a great example of someone who likes to try and get his shots in camera, regardless of the amount of effort and expense it takes to do it. It's like, It'll look better if you can get it in shot. Whatever you can get in shot, I'd prefer you to do it. I don't care if you have to take six to eight weeks to prep a shot to get it in camera, and it's going to cost four times as much. Get it in camera. Um, and then, yeah, this is that's why this movie, I, I, when I was in high school, which also has a you know a special point for me, I was, uh, I think I was 15 when this movie came out. Um, but all of that, just every time I watch it, I'm like right back. To 1998 again i'm like oh this is so great all the lines the one-liners the fight choreography the uh the acting the fashion the music it all it all works perfectly and we didn't yeah. even talk about he's got such a sweet car <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true yeah and he you know they do do little um the motorcycle reference in it when he um at, near the end of the movie where he rides a motorcycle into a building uh near the end when he's trying to rescue Karen. Um, it's probably, it's just one of those great movies. It a great action is, movie. It sounds like we both came to it at the right time. Like it was released at the right time for us. So we enjoyed it then. And you're right. How they made this movie still holds up today. Cause some films you can look back on and they're not necessarily aged well, but this movie Definitely has. Honestly, I had so much fun re-watching this film recently. And I even said to you, didn't I, before we started recording, how have we not done Blade yet? How have we yeah. done this many episodes and we've not touched on Blade? And what a good way to end the movie is in Moscow on another mission, adventure. Like the story, yeah. the story goes on. I've got a question yeah. for you. Did you ever watch the Blade TV series? 
No, it's one I always wanted to check out, but at the time there was no way to get it in Australia. This was um this is even when it was hard to find things when pirating was a thing back in LimeWire and um Napster days as well. Um it it was not it wasn't it was more of a cult show, which made it especially hard to track down. Um the only way I knew how to get hold of it was to import the DVDs of the season, right. which were really expensive thing was like a hundred dollars for the season okay at in, the time. in the u.s it aired on a new horror network spike tv yeah i don't know where it aired but i caught a couple of episodes on tv in the uk on one of like the satellite channels and then years later in the uk i bought the boxer complete Series one, it was like 10 pounds or something, wasn't that expensive. But the interesting thing there, like with the TV series, just like the movies, it was distributed by New Line, which is owned by Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers, the home of DC Comics. So it's kind of funny. You think back to this Marvel movie in 98, essentially distributed by Warner Brothers. The TV series didn't have. Blade, or it had Blade. He didn't have Wesley Snipes as Blade. Instead, they cast Sticky Fingers. Really? Yeah, some rapper guy. <laughs> and I, I've wow. got it. I own it, but I've still not seen the whole thing. But there's another DC connection, though. A lot of the episodes are actually written by Jeff Johns. Really? Really. Wow, that is surprising, because I know he did work for Marvel... Um in the i think it's the early 2000s he did some avengers um storylines before he went to dc and of course the big thing that launched him really was green lantern rebirth but i did not know he worked on a blade he works on it hey i've I've got the box set now i still own it i've got all three movies on dvd and the tv series I've, i've got the whole blade live action experience what surprised me about the series though is again no snipes but the events of the show take place directly after Blade Trinity. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. It, it, con- it continues. The two-hour pilot was directed by Peter O'Fallon from a script by David S. Goya, the guy that wrote all three Blade films. Yeah, that's really interesting because one of the things I liked about the final uh scene of the film and i always liked it even when i i noticed it immediately when i saw it in high school was the the line of dialogue for the russian vampire to the girl is the exact same as the opening dialogue for to the vampire girl to the guy at the start of the movie it bookends perfectly ah cool um and yeah and so when i saw it in russia i'm like oh my god and i swear the second Blade movie was actually set in Russia. But because it took, like what they said, four years for it to get around to it, and yes, you know, yeah, Guillermo del Toro, um, and you get Ron Perlman, you get such a great cast of characters and people attached to that movie, but uh, which I, I love. But I always had a problem with the, the vampires in the second one, the specifically the vampires that feed on other vampires because of typical Guillermo del Toro, the chin splitting open. Yeah, I never got past it, and I'm like, why couldn't you just do like they did in the first one? I don't know. I like that though because yeah, I know. But you've got 
I like that they bring in a new director and they've got to do something a little bit different. And you're right, it is, it's very Del Toro, you know, to have like the body morphing like they have in there. I'm okay with them using it in Play 2. It's when we get the vampire dogs in Play 2. <laughs> Yeah, you've got Triple H. You've got a little dog. Yeah, he's got the, the poodle, the vampire thing. mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They lose the way a little bit there, but I do like a lot Blade Two. There's that yeah. awesome scene where he's drained of blood. He's he's almost done for, and then he he climbs to the top of that big base, and there's that the that the puddle of blood. The pond, yeah, that yeah, the, uh, blood like the old vampire guy gets out of. And he's stood there and he can only just stand and then he falls. And then, yeah, yeah. And he just snipes, rises out of the water. Or Blade snipes. Yeah. However you want to refer to him. Like, honestly, I will always see snipes as Blade. And he's, he's great in that first movie, that second movie. He's not really in the third movie too much. And I get no. they, were, they were trying to, you know, we mentioned it earlier, do a spin-off with Night Stalkers. Yeah. Um, there's also some other weird stuff like he was going through a time uh, himself when they're making Blade Three. Like they, there's a scene uh, at the end where they like he didn't want anyone to see his eyes, so he was either he always had to wear the the glasses the whole time. And there's a scene near the end of the movie where his his eyes are supposed to be open without the glasses on, lying down, and they had the CGI do CGI of his eyes opening. Because he refused to open his eyes. <laughs> yeah, I did. For some reason. And as yeah. as the executive producer, they kind of had to do what he said. Like you can't make a Blade movie without the guy who plays Blade. So yeah, was, um, he was a bit off the rails at the time. But he was going through tax problems as well. Yeah, I, I did that. hear that he was he was playing funny buggers when they got to that third movie. And maybe he didn't like the direction. First movie, it's his. The second movie yeah. is more of an ensemble, but it's still his movie. And then yeah. they had these younger actors with their spin-off on the horizon. And he could feel, yeah, and he could feel them like taking it away from him. Have you, uh, yeah. have you watched the What We Do in the Shadows TV series? Yes, I love that show so much. Was it season two? two. Snipes had a cameo as Blade on a yeah. TV screen. Yeah, and because the, 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 the premise of that show is all fictional vampires, like all, all people who've played fictional vampires, like are real vampires. Like they tried to get Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, but, and they were willing to do it. They just couldn't line up the schedule. So they make uh, the line in, and when they're having all the people turn up of like, you know, Tom and Brad would love to be here, but they just couldn't make <laughs> it. That was true. Yeah. That was actually true. They reached out like they're never going to want to come on. And they did. They just couldn't, couldn't work their schedules around it. Cause they're both so busy. I'm like, Oh man, but yeah, um, and they have the thing of vampires are a little bit like easily like, oh that's cool, yeah I like that. Like uh, I think it was season one, Twilight was big, so they were trying to put the one of them was trying to get glitter on themselves to sparkle like a Twilight vampire. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's oh, brilliant. The show really is like it is by far one of the best comedies on TV. Like it is such a good show. But again, like what was it as recent as would have been last year or this year? Yeah, season two. Snipes yeah. still played. Yeah. He's and still you know, blade. it's we know going forward for the Marvel universe, we are gonna have uh Mashallah Ali as Blade. I believe he's 
I don't I don't remember. I think they said film, not a Netflix series. Oh, yeah, it's a film. Yeah. Because there's a lot of talk of them doing the Midnight Suns on that Netflix model before that's all moved over to what we have now with Disney Plus. But it makes sense as well. I mean, Netflix is done though. Netflix is done with Marvel. Like now, what Disney are doing, like the like more mature content, like um, the Hellstrom TV series, is going to Hulu, just like Runaways was Hulu. Although here in Australia, they've made. Season one of Runaways available on Disney Plus. Still waiting on seasons two and three, though. But Blade, yes, will be a new film. Yeah. How would you feel if they brought Snipes back in a different capacity? Like, let's say, for example, if they cast him as Whistler. I would be great. I think it would be awesome. I think, I think you definitely, it would be fan service. But I definitely think it makes sense to use Wesley Snipes uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, in some capacity in a Blade movie. Um, Whistler is a no- I saw that as soon as they made the announcement for the Mashallah Ali, who came to them. He was such a big fan of Blade. He's like, I will. I want to be Blade. I just want a second Academy Award. Give me Blade. <laughs> and they're like, Of course. Yeah. Let us let us write up the paperwork. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you can cast this thing. And immediately I saw online people go, Wesley Snipes has to be Whistler. I'm like, it's oh, a no-brainer. There you go. It makes no, like, they, that's not from Marvel. That's from the fans. But even if you cast him as a, the villain or something else, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it'd be when, you know, in the world we live in here in 2020, uh, what you can get away with in terms of um, what's available on set and, lining everything up but it i i'd love to see it i think it'd be perfect and it'd be a yeah. great handing down on the character um from you know the pro- the prior actors to the new one because i've got to imagine like you bring in those elements we talked about the tattoos i think i've heard michelle Rali talking about like he's already talked talk to uh makeup artists of like give me a wig to make like <laughs> worsely snipes yeah um yeah i mean I, sort of stuff. yeah I, I definitely would like to see snipes come back in some capacity i'm just just thinking about it now though i think for him he'll always be blade so whether or not he'd come back and take you know being a being a blade movie and not be blade i'm reminded of michael keaton of course batman in 89 yeah again in 92 with returns and there were stories about when he was on the set of Spider-Man Homecoming and when he was practicing doing his stunt work with Tom Holland, Keaton kept saying, I'm Batman, <laughs> as he was doing his stunts. So I think, oh, that's a guy that never really like, stepped away completely from being Batman. He was always known as being that character. And of course, we yeah. know with the upcoming Flash movie, Keaton will be back in some capacity as Batman. So I don't know, what, whatever they do with Blade in the future and Snipes, I hope that he does, he does get to play a part. But I was reading that before Blade, he was wanting to play another Marvel character, Black Panther, back in the yeah. 90s. And that's the role that he really wanted. And then after that didn't happen, of course, we got Blade. Yeah, and um, it makes sense. I don't. I really believe that you couldn't have done 
Black Panther justice until uh, the modern era in terms of special effects and that kind of thing. Because, you know, in the comics, Wakanda's always been so technologically advanced. So I don't really think you could have effectively done it, at least not for the money they would have been willing to put in. You know, I think of like the Judge Dredd movie with Sylvester Stallone where they built a model city that was massive uh, with, you know, each pane of glass was painstakingly put in and, you know, purposely lit. I'm like, that's probably what you would have had to do for a Black Panther movie up and, you know, even up uh, until the mid 2000s. And even still the CGI would have been quite heavy and um, expensive at that point. Um, so it's unfortunate, but, you know, also we've had such a, a, a great portrayal from Chadwick Boseman. Yes. And, and even like now you can't imagine anyone else other than Chadwick as Black Panther. So I think it's fair to say that with both properties, it worked out for the best. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I don't think we, there'd be people still talking about Blade if it hadn't been for this film. No, and and Snipes, like he again, like brought so much to that film. Like, yes, he's playing, you know, a supernatural character with superhuman abilities. But you strip all that away, like you've got a guy in Snipes who's who's got the physicality. He can do the stunt work. He's just he's got it all. Like he really he brings so much to Blade, and between him. Stephen Dorff, uh, Stephen Norrington, the director, like they all just pull it together. Yeah. So if you're going to rate this movie, Jay, out of five, and I'm very curious about this one, is this going to be a massive score? It <laughs> is. Gonna, um, it is. I, I'm, kind of, I'm having to talk myself down uh, from, I'm, I'm, I was thinking like five five it's such a great action movie but i'm gonna probably have to go down to a four a four out of five just because i think you're right with it being like for me it's like fifth element like fifth element for me is no a no-brainer five out of five um but it also hit me at around the same time i was in this around the same age in high school is everything i wanted all these different elements uh, coalescing into a movie and that, that feels like this for me because this is always my, for me, it's a five. But if I was going to recommend to others, I'd say four just because I don't know, like you brought up, if I like my nephews, I don't think they've seen it yet. Um, the oldest being 16 and the youngest being 12. I'm like, I'd like to sit them down in a group and force them. In fact, I might do that this week <laughs> and force <laughs> them to watch this movie and give and ask for direct feedback of like, did you like it? What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? Because I wonder if they noticed the age because the practical effects and them having familiarity with the Marvel Universe. I mean, they grew up with this Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'd be really curious. But yeah, for me, um, as a recommend for, but personally, it's a five out of five. It's like my, it's, the, oh, it's my favorite Wesley Snipes movie bar Demolition Man because Demolition Man's the king pop. <laughs> Simon Phoenix. Yeah, the reason why Dennis Rodman started bleaching his hair. Is that right? Is that the reason why? Yep. Oh, wow. Yep, 100%. That's cool. Can you remember when Dennis Rodman went for a period of making films? He did one with Van Damme that had a VHS. Was that double? Team. Was it double impact. It, double team, that's it, yes. It, and it was an awesome movie with Mickey Rourke as well. 
Yeah, no, it was good actually. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a yeah. VHS double bill, double team, maximum risk. Ah, yeah, another Van Damme movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, Blade. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It is. It is a tough one. Like you know, I'm riding the nostalgia wave, just like you are. Do you know? With that in mind, four point five. Yeah. Four point five. It's. Yeah. It is definitely a film that holds up. But think about that. You showing your nephews, like, I wonder if they're going to come to this, like, oh, look at this old movie. Or do you, yeah, I'm, do you I'm know super what I mean? curious. I'm really super curious. I have to do it now because, like, for me, the second it started playing, I said, I don't even need to look at TV. I could uh, immediately, like, oh, wow, yeah, played this. I remember this so crystal clear perfectly i could have started doing the monologue like uh, the, the dialogue from memory um although i still glued to the couch i'm like yes yes here it comes here comes that scene um and that was like every other scene of like oh here comes there's a one liner coming up here here it is, there it is. i, just, I just had that every single time that maybe for me this could have been like a bit of a, a bit of a gateway you don't know, like you've got gateway bands songs films you know to like to go to that next level because you know growing up like i wouldn't have watched you know as a kid movies like blade but then whether it's the marvel connection or like it like in snipes already but then watching this movie in my mid-teens and that would have been a gateway to other action films and horror films so yeah it, it's a yeah. movie that it's it's just it's always it's always been there and it's always played such a big part and I'm so glad that re-watching it for this just enjoying it as much now as I did then still really yeah. does hold up yeah and in fact and on, on that note this is like this was the thing I think on the talking about like the gateway idea is this is the reason why I've never been big on horror stuff um like monsters and that kind of thing but I've always liked vampires and I think that's like a strong uh case thanks to this film is this um at the time buffy started on was on tv as well uh and they all and i always think of blade interview the vampire and buffy as my like these are the things that cemented me and like vampires are awesome like the hell with werewolves and and uh and zombies and all that stuff but i've always always love vampires and uh, this movie is always one of the first things i think of i'm like because if you've got vampires you have the people who hunt the vampires and like not everyone's going to be a slayer you're going to have a bunch of people like blade running around with guns that's a good point buffy what was that 96 when did buffy come out yeah because uh season three when they introduced faith they did slayer fest 98 so um <laughs> you know it's been a while since i've seen the show but i yep. recently rewatched the movie Oh, wow. How's that yeah. age with Luke Perry and everything? Yeah, like, you know what? Like, he plays Pike, not to be yeah. confused with Spike. Um, it's fun. Like, it really is. It's a bit sillier than the TV show at times. But there's there's a lot of fun. Like, it's, yeah, it's good. Like, you know, it's it could even be something that we do for this. Like, it could kind of maybe qualify as an episode of sounds like comics i mean the tv show yeah. had comics there's a loose connection yeah there. yeah still still is producing comics released by boom yeah and they've quite a while i think was it dark horse 
Dark Horse for 20 years. Wow. And then, yeah, then why you say, boom, we've got the current license. Anyway, we'll save that for if we get to a Buffy episode. <laughs> um, well, that's it for our episode all about Blade. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>